welcome to the latest edition of the Streaking Law Podcast. If you haven't noticed by now that this is not Pierce, then I'm just going to turn this off and cry. Uh, this is Caroline. I'm taking over hosting duties for this week because Pierce is gallivanting around the world somewhere. Um, so hopefully you're in good hands here. But I'm joined by some of my good friends from Streaking Law. First of all, Paul. Hello. Hey, how hey, are hey. you? Good. How are you? Hanging in there. And, uh, and then we have returning for her second appearance on the Streaking Law Podcast. We have Emily. Emily, what's up? Hello. How are you guys? <laughs> We're going to call this one Paul and the Ladies. So, Paul, on a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you right now? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go solid 4. Like, I feel like my mother taught me well. I'm just going <laughs> to my P's and Q's and uh, just, you know, a little, little, little more on edge, but feeling, feeling good. I feel like your comfort level has to be pretty good now just overall as you're now engaged. Recently engaged man, Paul Wiley. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, our, own, our own Brian Lung coming through with the, uh, the big time cake. Uh, we were big, big fans of that at the tailgate on Saturday and uh, I, spreading the love of what was definitely too much cake uh, as it is now taking up about a quarter of our refrigerator. Uh, so hoping to find some hopefully non-diabetic homeless people to give it to. Uh, so it doesn't you can mail some to New York if you want. Yeah, okay. I, I won't be bad. Just care of streaking the lawn at New York City. And just spend it. <laughs> It'll get to me somehow. Okay. It'll get to cool. <laughs> that seems legit. I feel like I was just in New York, so I feel like I know that's pretty much how it all works. Yeah. It's a small city. They'll find her. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good segue. Saturday, you guys had a sweet cake and got to watch some awesome football as Virginia started off their ACC stint 1-0 and with a win over Louisville. And a commanding win, 27-3, to three, uh, the first time since 2009, I believe, that Virginia has held an ACC opponent without a touchdown. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from watching that game, Emily? Louisville sucks without Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's legit. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Louisville struggled even with him last year. Like, his junior season was obviously a different story. But um, – yeah, they have a lot of rebuilding to do, which is – I mean, they still have a lot of talent on the team. They just – none of it is clicking, clearly. That's completely fair, Paul. <laughs> uh, I was – I'm going to go with a, a more pleasantly surprised at how Virginia did um, it, it, and the adjustments at halftime uh, was my big takeaway, that the team really did not look – there was just something was like five degrees off in the first half that um, – starting with a missed field goal on your first drive, not a great way to finish. Um, finishing two other drives um, that both got inside the 10, um, having to finish both of those with field goals, not a real uh, a real feel-good moments there in the first half, but then to yeah. come out in the second half and completely dominate the way they did, um, I thought was, was extraordinary. And um, hopefully is indicative of, of what we'll see from Virginia through the rest of the ACC slate is, is more of that second half team. Yeah, that first half was painful to watch. <laughs> it was pretty that brutal. Was so slow. <laughs> there was a lot of like good things I think that you can take from the first half. Obviously like they were leading. That's a yay. Didn't let Louisville score. That's a positive. Um, but when you, there was still, you saw a lot of that creativity that we've talked about previously when it comes to the offense. Um, Paul, this is something that you've been really, um, vocal about, I guess, is like kind of liking what you're seeing from Dr. and I this season. Do you feel the same way after seeing what they did this game, especially considering you wouldn't 
given the stats that you got from the guys like Jordan Ellis and Alameda Zacchaeus not being what they were maybe the first few games of the season, are you pleasantly surprised what they were able to do with other people? Or should we be concerned that those guys didn't contribute as much as we had expected? Well, I think if, if, if those guys had not contributed and it had been a, a nail biter win or a loss, then yeah, that's absolutely reason to be concerned is like, look, there are three guys. And if two of them aren't working, then this offense is dead in the water. What we saw is that it's not just three guys. It's um, you know, Chris Sharp is able to play some of that space game. Um, yeah, the the um, deep passing was as good as it's been. You know, what we talked about last week that eventually those deep passes are probably going to start to hit. All of a sudden, it was that was this week. Um, and actually, I, the most encouraging thing for me about the offense in this game was watching Perkins work at the line. The the deep touchdown pass to Joe Reed in the second half. Perkins comes up to the line. And they, he gets into it and immediately turns turns to the to his left and gives this gives a signal. It's whatever the checkdown was. They had, they knew the look they were looking for. They knew how to adjust to it. Um, my dad was sitting up in the the upper deck, and there were folks right behind him that literally, as soon as Perkins turned to his left, they went Reed's going to score a touchdown. That it was from from up there from the way you could see yeah. the the field play out and how Louisville aligned that coverage. It was obvious that if Reed got gone, got past his guy, he was gone. And Perkins saw it. Reed saw it. They had the timing, the throw, the placement of the throw was correct. And the game was over. I mean, it was it that the, the execution, the recognition to get into the right play, then the execution on that play on a deep pass that has not really been an element of the offense to this point. That's very encouraging. Absolutely. Emily, you were looking a little bit in one of the stories you published this morning on Monday when we're recording. Um, this will publish at a later date. But you talked about looking forward to NC State and kind of looking a little bit back at Louisville and what Perkins did. Do you think there was too much – or do you think a lot of his stuff was designed or he had to react more to the pocket collapsing? And does that concern you regarding his, like, the sustainability of the stuff that he's doing? I don't know. See, I've struggled with watching Perkins play this season because it's like, obviously we're not on the field. We're not hearing what plays are being called, but it seems to me like there's been a huge kind of dependence on him. And I know Anae has come out and said it's because he's our best offensive player, which is fair. Um, but even we saw like that first half versus second half, like second half clearly making a lot more use of the other offensive assets that he has and making use of people. And I honestly don't know. I mean, that's something that I was trying to figure out this morning because I was like, we face tougher defenses coming up. Like, Louisville is not the strongest opponent that we're going to face. So if we're collapsing against Louisville, it's kind of concerning for the future. So I don't know if that means adjustments on the O-line, if that means adjustments in play calling or maybe a combination of both. That's fair. And I think there's some, I thought the O-line, I thought both lines did relatively well. Looking back, I haven't had a chance yeah. to watch, especially not that first half, which if I tried to rewatch that would probably take a quick nap. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, what about concerns? Like, did this game create any new concerns for either of you? And, or are there any concerns about this team that weren't answered that still kind of linger in the back of your mind, Emily? Um, I mean, my biggest concern going into this game was special teams. Um, 
which I think the adjustment to bench AJ Mejia kind of mitigated some of that for me. And hopefully, um, no offense to AJ Mejia, hopefully he's not our starter against NC State because I think, especially against NC State, when we're coming in as underdogs, we're playing away. I think we need whatever extra points we can get. Um, so I think that is a concern. Next week is if we can kind of continue the success that we saw this weekend once AJ Mejia was benched. Yeah, I would say the, the quality of the play on the field didn't raise any new concerns. Um, but what we've learned today uh, and, and after the game about the, the toll that the play on the field has taken, losing Jordan Mack um, for six weeks, as was announced uh, at, at Broncos press conference, and learning that Rob Burney is going to be out for the year. All of a sudden, that defensive line is getting thin. Uh, and inside linebackers starting to get that. And, and we'll talk about why that's not as much of a concern, I'm sure, um, at, at the linebacker position. But knowing that that may have been the last game that the defense, the starting defense, was at something close to full strength for yeah. the next several weeks, um, it's, that, that is the biggest concern to me. So it's, it's not that they did something or didn't do something that I was like, oh, man, that's, they're, they're going to need to clean that up. It's a, oh, man, now we're not going to have that guy. Um, so it's, it's, it's more like I said, the, the, the effects of the game than the result of the game, uh, that, that maybe leads, leaves some, uh, some concerns in my head. Paul, Paul, out of those guys that you just listed, and obviously I know what you alluded to the fact that we're going to talk a little bit about maybe the linebackers, but out of those guys that you listed, who is the most concerning or hardest to replace going forward? Like which, when you saw those names, which one were you like, Oh shit. (laughs) I think it's Mac um, because this, I mean, the, the biggest question mark coming into the year, at least for me, was how do you replace Micah Kaiser? Uh, that Brown and Blanding at sort of the two ends of the defense, uh, both phenomenal talents, very, very talented, um, you know, physically gifted players. Micah maybe didn't have as many of the physical gifts, uh, but was the quarterback of the defense. And that's obviously what you expect out of your middle linebacker. So to have a guy like Jordan Mack, filling in for that all of a sudden you're losing another step down from that is the defense going to be lined up correctly are they going to adjust correctly on the field um you know and and hopefully bringing a guy like like cj stalker um getting him into the two deep the way that bronco talked about him today um saying that he's he's leaving leaving stalker no choice that when he leaves virginia he will stay here as a graduate assistant and will not get letters of recommendation to go anywhere else he (laughs) likes him that much yeah um you know i think that's uh encouraging that 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 element on the field um, could help replace some of what, what might get lost by not having Mac out there and not having cook uh, out there. So um, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Mac is my biggest concern. Um, even though the defense, the depth on defensive line is, is now, now thinner. Uh, but I, I think Mac is going to be the bigger, more immediate loss, or at least the biggest question mark that's going to have to be filled by guys behind him. I do like that CJ Stalker for me is a first team all name guy too. Like, especially as a defender, like a linebacker name, like that's a pretty solid, like stalker on the linebacker. I don't know. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, it's, up, I, it's up there with Brian Baldinger. <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I think one of the things that stood out to me too, on more of the positive sense, you mentioned a little <laughs> bit about um, changing game plan at halftime and stuff like that. Also, I appreciated that while I'm obviously still team give the ball to Jordan Ellis all the time, Jordan Ellis was clearly someone that Louisville keyed in on as part of their plan. 
Um, and stopping that stopping him was something that was big and, and he still had a successful game. It just wasn't as like egregious as his, you know, last couple outings. So I want to say shout out to like when it wasn't working, they threw in some other things. I think, uh, let me double check, but they threw to another, yeah, another game where they hit 10 receivers, which I like seeing stuff like that, even though, you know, you've got like Tavares Kelly had a big pickup, Devontae Cross hauled one in, Chris Sharp, his only reception was a touchdown. They hit two tight ends, um, butts was clearly used more. And yes, that was a little bit of an excuse just to say butts. Um, but I think that they're doing a nice job of spreading out the attack. Um, how much defensively do you think Virginia was bolstered by the struggles that Louisville has been having and how much was just holy shit that they played really well, Paul? Uh, I think it was there, – there's certainly sort of a, a symbiotic relationship there, uh, but I, I do think this Virginia defense is playing really, really well right now. The, the linebacking core – um, especially the, the rush and the pressure from Snowden, like we talked about at, at quite a bit of length last week, the surprising play they've gotten from the, from the defensive line, um, from, from Famui and from Jordan Redmond, a couple of young guys. Um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit more of the defense. Emily, what's, what, what's your read on it? Was it good defense or terrible offense? From your, from your earlier perspective on Louisville, I think I might know the answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, okay, so I think it, Here's the thing. I think Louisville's offense is terrible, but I also think this is the best we've seen our defense look this season. And I don't know if that is because Louisville's offense is so terrible. I think it's partially because of that, but I think it's also because things are finally starting to click. I mean, I guess now injuries in that line kind of might change that up, but I think we saw them kind of working really well as a unit last week, um, which is something that when you had like Micah and Quinn and Andrew Brown and those guys, I feel like they led the unit as a very like – cohesive entity does that yeah. make any sense no it does make sense because I, I there were definitely times in that game throughout and obviously holding Louisville scores in the first half is no small thing like that no. that's good like Louisville scored fewer points against Virginia than they did against Alabama which clearly means we're better than Bama duh, obviously um we want them. We want no. Just no, kidding. We want no, no, we don't. No. Football gods, she doesn't mean it. Um, we don't want them. Um, I mean, I would think it would be fun to watch, but not that fun so we'll get this like Georgia <laughs> here, so it'll be close. To Basically the, the same thing. Yeah, um, but it stands out to me like when was the last time you saw? And part of this is the play calling that Louisville went with, but the goal line stand. I can't remember seeing anything <laughs> like that recently in Virginia history. Are there any? That that just whole thing, and obviously the next series, Virginia went down and and scored their first touchdown, proved that the end zone was not lava, like everything's good. Um, This defense seems – I agree with you. They seem to be clicking. They seem to, like, be understanding their roles better and hitting gaps better. Um, But I think this is probably a good time to transition to three stars segment. Um, because I feel like there's going to be a chance to talk about a few more defenders individually. Um, Emily, I'll give you first dibs as the uh, guest, guest, staff person on here. Is not so who gets tip. your star for Virginia versus Louisville? I think Hunter Pearson. I really do. I think, like, the fact that he was able to step up when needed um, – I don't think he – to be honest, I don't know if he expected to go in. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like he was kind of just chilling on the bench, and as every game, AJ Mejia misses a field goal, and he's still chilling on the bench. <laughs> and then all of a sudden... Bring AJ Emily has been bottling <laughs> this up all season. This is incredible. I am He's so, part of her long time to get on the staff to, like... <laughs> No, I just get so frustrated when teams, like, overlook the importance of, like, how many points can – like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're yeah. – okay, what, the spread next week is seven and a half points, like, field goals are going to matter then. Yeah. You're going to need those extra points that we can get. You know, you're going to need the extra points and a touchdown. Like, it's, you know what I mean? It's not like we're going to win this game if we're not getting those. It's a terrible thing not to have a basic safety net of we're right. a power five college football team that doesn't comfortably have a kicker that could make a 30-yard field goal. That's the thing, and I'm not, like, asking for, like, 45-yarders here. <laughs> yeah. Like, 30-yarders. Yeah, like, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's a real – I mean, that's good. I'm all about – hey, I, I've given the Lester Coleman, you know, I'm a special team. Lester Coleman pain train. I'm still waiting, Lester. <laughs> I mean, I just you're listening. think, like, when freshmen perform, like, the potential to have him now for the next four years. Yeah. It's a huge add in terms of, like, consistency, which is something the team has struggled with. You know, it's like seeing that we have young guys coming in who can do what they need to do. That's what – that's why he gets my star. Paul, do you remember Connor Hughes? Of course. Oh, that was consistency. Emily, he used yeah. to play back in the day, and it was, like, 45 yards? No problem. Connor's got it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I think the team has been missing for several years now. So yeah. I am team have a consistent kicker. So that's, I, that's a good start. Paul, who gets your star? My star is going to ZZ Stop. Uh, I'm so happy I got to be the first one to say it. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Zane Zandier, um, the, the, even, if, even if Jordan Mack and Malcolm Cook were still healthy, um, the, what Zandier has shown this year, uh, both in the offseason program, being part of the, uh, the Dirty Dozen, uh, the, the, the top 12 guys from Sean Griswold's uh, strength and conditioning program during the offseason, uh, and then translating that onto the field, uh, you've got to love a guy that in 2018 is still playing with a neck roll. Uh, that is a throwback linebacker. Yeah. At like, but at like 225, 230 pounds can still play coverage pretty decently. Um, but sticking his face mask in there on that goal line stand, um, turning, turning an interception down at the three into nothing more than a field goal. Um, as yeah. soon as that happened, I turned to my friend sitting next to me and said, we're going to win the game. Like that's, there was no yeah. question that the, the ability to turn him back, uh, you felt the momentum shift in the stadium. Um, uh, and, and that was all squarely on the shoulders of, of Zandier. Uh, so big star for me and please, please keep it going. Cause Virginia is desperately going to need him to continue playing uh, that, that, that caliber. Yeah. He just seemed to be everywhere too. And it was just that eight tackles. You Eight could, tackles on Saturday. You could see him, like, when that gap opened up where he saw the lane to the running back that had just been handed the ball on, like, the three-yard line. You could almost – it was, like, film from behind, but you could almost see the excitement, like, in his eyes of, like, I'm going to get this guy again. And when he stood back up, I was like, I am amped. I'm going to run through a wall. Um, hey, Paul, how long have you been holding on to that nickname? <laughs> uh, I saw it on Twitter on – Saturday night, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody said that one of the announcers used it during the game. I don't he know if did, it was yeah. or if it was one of the TV guys. It was uh, the West Durham and the other guy that was with him, which I wish I knew his name, but I love Wes. Um, okay, but we are uh, we're staking our flag to it. That that is now the official nickname of Zanzendier on streakingthelawn.com. <laughs> ZZ Stop. 
Um, just like the Eli's coming t-shirts, we got to get some ZZ's top, uh, shirts. I'm thinking Zane with a, a nice long beard, sunglasses. Oh my God. Right. That's amazing. Brian, if you're listening. <laughs> let's get on that yeah, if, anybody, um, if anybody can find brian <laughs> <laughs> so i thank you guys so much you're so kind to me leaving me my fave charles snowden to award my biggest of big huge stars for the game i mean what didn't this kid do it's earlier in the, i tweeted about it, i was like oh zane's trying to get this my star for the week and but uh charles snowden's making a push and boy did he ever make a push, finish with eight total tackles, three solo, one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, an interception, two pass breakups, and he recovered a fumble. Um, you almost cannot do more unless they put you in on offense and ask you to do something on that side <laughs> of the ball. And this is a kid, he's, you know, six, seven, two twenty something. He's huge. I almost tweeted something about Stretch Armstrong when he made that interception, but I thought 90% of my followers wouldn't understand what that was. Um, and I couldn't find a good gift. So it just, he is playing with his enthusiasm and it seemed, it just fell throughout that game. Like no matter where you look, like Charles Snowden was there doing something and we got to see his coming out party. And I think it's only going to get better from there. And I really, really like the duo of Zane and Charles Snowden together. And I think they fire each other up based on like the post game comments. Like Zane was out there saying like, Oh, just keep stuff in the stats and you know, get me more of this stuff. And, I think they play well off each other. So, um, yeah, he gets mine. There's, oof, it was real tough not to give Bryce a star. Just I was literally just ball. about to say that. Yeah, I, I mean, was like, we hurdled two men, two and two no men. one gave him a star. I know. <laughs> tough crowd. We're really tough graders. Right? It was a tough crowd. I mean, oh man, he's been doing some special, special stuff. And I don't. When was I? Don't think I've ever seen a hurdle that fluid where then the runner picked up 10 more yards after they hurdled a human being usually there's like a second guy right there ready to like knock yeah. you into oblivion which is why people never do like don't do it that often <laughs> that's why yeah yeah I guess <laughs> also because you know like jumping five feet over another human is a little bit <laughs> oh. Maybe sometimes. I don't know. I've never done it. Yeah, no chance. Doing it to Louisville. <laughs> of all the times I've jumped over <laughs> Power 5 football defenders. I never got another 10 yards after the after I did Same. it. Um, so, yeah, I think – do you guys have any other thoughts on Louisville? Um, takeaways that we didn't talk about from that game? This was, There was a brief little Highland Springs reunion on the field after the game uh, between Makai Becton and Billy Kemp, who's a wide receiver for uh, UVA. And it, looking at it, it was difficult to believe that they're the same species, much less play the same sport. <laughs> oh, so it's like the Aaron uh, Judge, uh, Jose Altuve picture? <laughs> it was <laughs> absolutely unreal. I'm looking at it, and uh, Becton is like 6'7", 350. I mean, he's an enormous human being. Billy Kemp is 5'9", 175. I mean, it's it was it it was to me it was reminiscent of the uh, the Shrek and Donkey with, with <laughs> Kevin Parks and Morgan Moses for a while at, at UVA, <laughs> um, and I was just looking at going, how are these two allowed to play the same sport? Like that is there are laws of physics that are violated there. But anyways, that was my completely unrelated to actual football things takeaway from the Louisville game is Makai Becton is really big. Paul, were there any huge recruits there that you think this game probably made a big impact on? 
Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a big recruiting weekend. Um, there was a, an event at Albemarle high school for a bunch of the top, um, players in the state, uh, gathered by Tom Lemmings. Um, and UVA was able to parlay that into getting a lot of them at the game. Uh, Tony Grimes and, uh, is a defensive back from, uh, Princess Anne down in Virginia beach. That is probably going to be one of the top players in his class. Uh, there were several other, um, Basically, if you pick a guy that's in the top 15 in the state of Virginia in the class of 2020 or the class of 2021, um, they were they were at this game. So it was it was a big haul. Um, the reaction of that section of the stadium, it's a couple of sections over from where my seats are. Um, when Perkins went up and over for that first hurdle, they were going absolutely <laughs> ballistic. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah, it was it was a big recruiting weekend. Um, a great product on the field to show them what Virginia's football is supposed to look like. Um, and a couple, uh, enough really, really exciting moments to show them. It's not just a plod, you know, a, a, a plot and, and grind them down um, style of play. It, it really is going to let talented players show what they can do. Uh, yeah. So hopefully those guys were paying attention. All right. So want to know in the ACC next up, Virginia has to hit the road again. They've only played one, well, okay, that's not necessarily true. They've technically played two games away from Charlottesville, but obviously one of those was a glorified home game in Nashville. But their last road game, obviously, is the only loss of the season. Four-point loss at Indiana. Now they're going down to Raleigh to face NC State, who's only played three games due to a game cancellation with Hurricane Florence. So they're favored by eight in this game. Emily, does that – or seven and a half. I've seen it fluctuate between seven and eight. Um, yeah. Does that sound right to you? What is your – feeling like what what worries you most about playing a team like state uh just stopping them offensively I mean NC State has 500 plus yards of total offense in the last two games which is a lot to keep up with yeah um, <laughs> 470 <laughs> yards per game is kind of high <laughs> yeah so um I think just matching their offensive output and that's my concern with I'm not worried that we're going to be able to stop them defensively that we'll be able to keep up with them I'm just worried that like there's only going to be so much we can do yeah you know it's like I was literally thinking of this I was like it's as if like UVA basketball played like Kentucky and it's like I'm not worried about like us like being a good team and like being like pretty equally matched it's just like a team like Kentucky is going to put up so many points on the board that it's like can you match that and that's my concern with NC State I guess not even the points, just they're going to get so many yards and they're going to keep moving the ball pretty far. So that's kind of what it would, in an ideal situation, translate to. So I don't know. I'm just – I'm worried about that. I'm worried about kind of slowing them down a little bit and not giving them as much room to kind of throw the ball and yeah. make big plays that way. Paul, what about you? Yeah, the I think eight point seven and a half or eight points would be right on the upper – edge of what would feel like about the right margin. I think it's maybe even a little bit closer than that. Um, I think the, how the team manages emotions and expectations going into the game is going to be a really big deal that, um, you know, we've seen, we've seen the positive side of that, that the, we talked about the goal line stand that in years past, that would have been the, Oh shit, here we go. Um, You know, here we go again, bad things are happening. And instead this year it was, Oh shit, here we go. Uh, and, yeah. and it was, it was sort of a different bow your neck kind of mentality. Um, the thing, I, 
I, I hear what you're saying, Emily, but I just I think NC State isn't necessarily like a whole different beast than than Virginia. It's it, it they look like they do they do the things Virginia does well, but just a little bit better. Um, that going I'm looking at their their sort of S and P ratings. Um, Virginia is 58th in offensive S and P. NC State is 54th. Uh, Virginia is. 39th in defensive S&P, NC State is 21st. Um, and then even on the things where they're both bad uh, on special teams S&P, Virginia's 124th, not great. Um, but NC State is 118th. So it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those, they're just enough better in everything that, that, where they compare and playing at home. That Yeah, a, a touchdown to a touchdown and a field goal is, is about – unfortunately feel feels about right for for how much NC State would probably be favored yeah and to, and to your point yeah so then they're obviously they've played three games and Virginia's played four um NC State's averaging 478 yards of offense but 370 of that is coming from in the air so only about 100 yards a game in, in the rushing game does that in one sense that makes me feel a little bit better because I feel like the Virginia defense has been relatively good at stopping run games they've only they average 113 yards against in rushing or does that make you more concerned that hey Finley's going to do his thing and he's just going to ball out I think you can scheme around you can scheme to stop a good passing game better than I think you can scheme to stop a dominant running game um and I think that's that that whether or not that's true overall, I think that's certainly more true with Virginia's personnel this year that you're not going to be able to put seven guys in the box at 270 plus pounds yeah. to stop a between the tackles running game, but you can go two, four, five, you can go three, three, five, you can do all sorts of new looks with inventive blitzes to throw a timing offense off. Yeah. You're probably going to give up some big plays when you do that, but you have the chance to create some big plays with a guy like Bryce Hall or Brenton Nelson or Juan yeah. Thornhill that can pick it and take it away or Charles Snowden can, can grab an interception uh, when he's not getting sacked. So I, I, I am more comfortable stopping a team that relies on the pass at this point in the season with this personnel than I would be with a team like you know, a Wisconsin or a Stanford that's going to line up and just punch you in the throat for 60 minutes. Yeah. My um, only concern with that is that I feel like, <coughs> excuse me, NC State's running game is kind of just starting to heat up. Like I think we saw their best, their starting like best running back last week. Um, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah. Something. Um, he had the best game of his career last game. So I feel like there is a potential that we're kind of starting to see them diversify it a little bit more and rely a little bit less on the air. So that's my only concern going into this weekend is kind of maybe that they might try to match kind of what we do in the sense of using the ground a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how they – looking at their stats, obviously it's not just the only thing that it tells all the story always, but – I watched their first game of the season against JMU. They did struggle. They only won, they won 24-13. Obviously, JMU is a very talented FCS team, and, and welcoming them to town is always tough. Like people, that's one of those teams that people are kind of like, 
it's like the app states of the world and apparently the ODUs of the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll get back to that. Um, But (laughs) just the idea of like, that's obviously not a terrible win to beat them by nine points. But I think there were times during that game where I was kind of like, state, what are you doing? But looking at the numbers, it looks like Gillespie is more of a goal line or, you know, he has four touchdowns with only 173 yards um, on the season. So like, that's, two of those came last weekend. Yeah. And so you're looking at Jordan Ellis's 448 yards and five touchdowns on the season. And so it sounds like a little bit of this, maybe he's more of a goal line guy, or maybe they're just starting to, like you said, and kind of figure out what to do with him. And Oh, no, I definitely think we're still stronger on the ground. I just yeah. worried that we're going to underestimate what NC State can do. Hopefully not, but it's always, always a possibility. Um, I will say I think I feel a little bit better about the secondary at this point. And this has been a real roller coaster of emotions for me this so far this season, um, where obviously I came in really high on the secondary um, that faltered a little bit after um, the Indiana game, like giving up some plays we kind of talked about, oh, maybe that's the weather, maybe that's this or that, and then some big plays against Ohio. But I really looked at it again, and I do think that some of that is just the quarterbacks getting too much time and some really nice catches made by receivers. And I, I think that the secondary – was just like the rest of the defense, outstanding against Louisville. Um, Paul, is this something that you would even put in your concerns category at this point? Or are you like, no, I feel good about the secondary. How do you think when you look at that Finley versus the secondary, where do you? Yeah, I I think it's – my feelings about the secondary are that it's – are directly tied to how comfortable I feel about what's in front of them. Uh, That in games that the pass rush has really worked, uh, the secondary has looked fantastic uh when ohio was able to protect rourke rourke was able to dish it out and there's you know that's some of that is just the nature of the game that there's there really is no defense for good pass protection in a well-thrown ball um so that's you know the i I think the the um rending you know gnashing of teeth and everything after the ohio game was a little bit overwrought um but it at the same time like it's if if the linebackers aren't able to get the same kind of pressure without the, their top guys. If uh, the guys that are, are playing on the defensive line aren't able to penetrate as well against a, a, what should be a more talented NC State offensive line than anybody they've faced so far, um, then, yeah, then I am going to be worried about the secondary. Um, I don't think there's anybody back there, no offense to any of them, that is a – single-handedly change the way a game unfolds type talent. Um, I think they play well together and all of them have big play potential, but there's nobody that's just like, wow, you cannot throw to his side of the field. Yeah. Um, So it's Juan Thornhill might be getting there. The only one that he gave up this year was like that weird slip against Indiana. Um, That's fair. He's had a couple games where every time that he's been targeted, like no reception. So I agree with you though. I think in the, where we are right now, I don't think that there's any like standalone island type guys, but I do think that he might be the one for me that's um, moving that way. Um, so let's talk predictions. Emily, what do you think happens on this one? I think we lose by a touchdown, but I think we hold our own. I don't oh. think it's going to be like a disappointing showing at all. I yeah. just, I think a touchdown is about right. Paul. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think five or six points um, is 
yeah, Vegas tends to get this stuff right more than more than a lot of us like to admit. Um, so I, I yeah, six six points I think is. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna say I would be happy with that outcome. Like I'm never gonna be happy yeah. with Virginia losing. <laughs> um, at least not when I want the coach to stay. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think a, a a five or six point loss that they look respectable. Yeah, would be yeah. A, a perfectly great outcome, um, and and would be sort of confirmation of the other benchmarks they've put down of where they are. Yeah. Uh, a win would be signaling a, a pretty massive acceleration of the program. A bad bad loss will would raise a lot of question marks. Um, but go down there, keep it within a touchdown or ten points for most of the game, and come up just a little bit short. I, I that's an outcome that I'm. Um, you know, I'm not going to f- go burn all my UVA apparel or anything like that over it. That's fair. I think that's about where I am too. I did actually pick them to lose this one, which I hate, hate doing. Um, but I think that you're about right. I think the difference is going to be the road. Um, and I'll give NC state the edge there. I think if this was in Charlottesville, I'd probably actually lean Virginia um, coming off the big home win, but it's not. So there's no point. Um <laughs> This is one of those things that's always funny to me because I feel the same way. I was like, well, if they hold their own, then I'll be totally – it'll be fine, like, whatever. But then you watch the and game. it's not and actually like, fine. Yeah, because every <laughs> time when you say – it's just like during basketball season when people look at the schedule when it comes out and they're like, I can see this team losing five or six games. And then when they, like, lose the games people think they were going to lose, they're like, I cannot believe they had so many turnovers. And I'm like, how – they're not going to lose games without making mistakes. Like, that's kind of the thing. Um, so there's probably gonna be some turnover that we get really mad at and we're not actually happy with the outcome because it was a dumb turnover, but, um, better than losing to a team you're not supposed to lose to. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So let's talk about the state <laughs> here real quick, y'all. Uh, it was kind of a crazy week, not a great showing, um, for our Atlantic coast conference brethren. When you look at Boston college was finally ranked for the first time in a while. Um, they get handily defeated by Purdue who was winless coming in. Uh, our good, good friends down in Blacksburg traveled to ODU for <laughs> okay, a showcase game and got beaten by two touchdowns in one of the worst college football losses in the last 40 years, Paul? Yeah. And, and to top it all off, handled the loss so well, they kicked their best defensive player off the team on Sunday morning. We don't know exactly what happened. If you want to watch a fan base completely implode, go over to one of the tech message boards and watch them try and figure out what happened. Um, but I, it's oh, – oh, the schadenfreude is so yeah. – and, and my Braves clinched the NL East on Saturday. So I am – just I it was a fantastic sports weekend for me uh almost to the point that I didn't care that my Texans look like crap on Sunday I'm with you Paul I was in New York I got to watch the Red Sox clinch the AL East in Yankee Stadium it was awesome um I'm trying to maybe dial back some of my like (laughs) it's really hard not to laugh when you say it though because they obviously if anyone knows about losing games you're not supposed to lose as Virginia Virginia fans right now so there was some uh, perhaps karma that maybe came back around to our friends from Blacksburg for all of the mockery that they unloaded. And especially when you look at two years ago when ODU got their stadium upgrades or got a new scoreboard and tweeted out like, yeah, look at this. It was like one of those mock-ups. 
and the scoreboard had them winning over Virginia Tech and the Tech football account like quote tweeted and was like oh we think you're getting a little big for your britches like that type thing <laughs> um, karma it's just two years later to have that there's always a tweet right you know so there's but when you look at the ACC Emily what is who is the second best team in the Atlantic because obviously Clemson is the the above all best team out there uh this one I struggle with because I feel like you have like Clemson at the top and then you have like UNC at the bottom and then everyone in the middle is just like kind of all there. I don't know. Is it Syracuse? I think it might like, be Syracuse. God, is it Syracuse? Is it, Syracuse is the second best in the, team. In the Atlantic, I think Syracuse might be the second best team. I will also still take. I, I just don't know if I can say that Syracuse is that strong of a team yet. I know. I mean, they hung half a hundred on UConn, and like, admittedly, that's UConn, yeah, but, it's but UConn. it's still fifty points. Yeah, like that offense yeah. has looked good, and nobody yeah. has ever really questioned whether Dino Babers was a good offensive coach. Like, if if that offense is doing what Dino Babers wants it to do, yikes! Yeah, yeah, that's... but then we look at like the credit we're giving to like UVA being Louisville, and someone could easily say like, yeah, but it's Louisville, you know? But like, I feel like we're doing the same thing to UConn now that people are doing us, where it's like. Yeah, I think there's a part of it that's like, it could be state. We might get more answers on Saturday if the second best team is state. Like, that's a big possibility. Um, Wake, they played a good game against Boston College. I don't know what to make of Boston College or Wake. I think Louisville and Florida State are bad. Um, but I don't think Louisville's as bad. I do think that a lot of, like, what Virginia did on Saturday was, like, Virginia doing good things. Like, they yeah. have talent. Um, and taking advantage of mistakes that Louisville made, which is also important. Um, I don't think Florida State is used to people being like, wow, Florida State is so bad. I feel like this is probably, like, such a shock for all their fans. <laughs> like, I feel like they're, they're at least usually, like, average, you know? Like, I don't think Florida State is very often, like, a terrible team. Yeah, it's curious. I've, I've gone on – yeah, I went on deployment with a kid who went to, uh, went to Oklahoma, and I remember <laughs> they lost their second game of the season one time, one year or whatever. And he's like, well, that's it. I'm not going to watch anymore. And I was like, what Nebraska fans are feeling like. Right now. He was like, well, they can't win a national championship. I'm not going to watch anymore. What's the point? And I was like, people do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's been an option this whole time? You know how many two and ten seasons I've sat there? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I feel like you're right. Like, Florida State fans and Louisville fans, if you – I mean, some of the recently. comment sections, they just know yeah. – they don't know what to do following successful seasons where they don't meet that. Um, well, Syracuse oh. fans are probably feeling opposite. Yeah, they're like, Woo! <laughs> why is it? they might be ranked next week? Like, let's let's real talk. Like, there's some people talking about it. Paul, when you look at the coastal, um, who is the class of the coastal, and what do you make of that whole mess? Uh, I think it's probably still Miami. Um, uh, it's um, you know they haven't played a conference game yet. They've looked pretty strong um, out of conference. You know, Duke is Duke is four and zero, and um, a lot of the, the rating systems like Duke, when you look yeah. at their, their play-by-play numbers, their efficiency, and, and, and how everything is, is clicking for them right now. Um, you know, Miami went ahead and got, got good and whomped by, by LSU to start the season and then has rolled over some lesser competition. But yeah. I, I think they've still got the most talent of anybody in the, in the Coastal Division, certainly. Um, 
I feel like Virginia Tech is really on the precipice precipice of a a potentially disastrous turn for their season. Um, it, how they how they bounce back from ODU and the and the the dismissal um, is I think going to determine the division. Um, Who does and, Tech play this weekend? Tech plays Duke, and actually, I think that's actually uh, a big um, yeah. litmus test of like what the Coastal is going to look like. Not just who wins that game, but how what, they how they play, like what they look like. Because both of them have injury issues. Obviously, we didn't even talk about the fact. Like, Tech's had a really, really rough week. Not even week. Really rough, like, three days for, for those folks with uh, not just the loss, the apparent disaster in the locker room. And then on top of that, they found out today, I think it was his tibia that's broken for quarterback Josh Jackson. So he's out the rest of the season. So they got to go to a backup. Duke is – I don't, they're like where Maryland was a couple of years ago where they were playing a linebacker at quarterback, basically. Um, Which isn't the best. Everyone should try it at least once. Hey, we lost to that team playing a linebacker at quarterback. I know. Um, but Duke I think somehow still favored though. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, That's I think that one's going to be really interesting. I'm still probably going to end up watching Louisville FSU because I just can't not watch that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so excited for that game. Um, but yeah, the ACC is, Paul, do you think it's bad, or do you think that there are just maybe some teams that are better than people think, but they're not used to those teams being good? So because the good teams look like shit, they're just saying the rest of the conference is not good. No, I think it's bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, like the, the, the Clemson BoJack horsemen are really, really good. <laughs> um, there are there, – I think a lot of teams have underperformed. That's what it – like, it's yeah. – it's, you know, nationally, maybe this it's about on par with what they should have been expected to do. But Florida State being not just losing, but the the ways that they've lost, <laughs> how bad that offensive line has looked, yeah. almost losing to freaking Samford. Like there is like it the it's the the method of suckitude is yeah. really what I think is driving the narrative around the ACC being bad right now. Um, but I think you're right. I think there is an element of like, oh, that's a surprising team to see yeah. at the top of the standings when you look at a Syracuse or a Virginia. Um, that teams that a lot of observers are kind of, well, the ACC must suck because Syracuse right. is good. Like, that. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there is a lot of just on really, really underwhelming performances on big stages has set the narrative that the ACC is crap this year. Luckily, or I don't know, I feel like we should be getting a little bit more leeway in some sense because it's not like any conference. There, other conferences are having their own issues when it comes to um, overall performance. I don't think the Big Ten's done themselves any favors outside of a couple they you know, had a rough week that last are winning games. Yeah, so like last this past week, I'd say the ACC had a rough look with their ranked team struggling. And then the week before that, it was Wisconsin, uh, like Wisconsin lost at home. Um, but you've just had some teams that just didn't look great. So I don't know if maybe it's just – we're we this is why I don't like preseason rankings people decide before anyone plays a single down of football like who's going to be good and then when those teams mess up it no one knows what to make of anything so um a little bit of a shift we had a big week elsewhere with Virginia news um sound the air horn Carson McCorkle committed to Virginia basketball um I will admit I freaked out a little bit <laughs> out of excitement. Uh, I've not seen like maybe a single video of this kid play, but as soon as I heard his name was Carson McCorkle, I was like in 1 million percent. I want to root for someone named Carson McCorkle. Emily, what does this say to you about where basketball is going? 
see, I was thinking about this because he's class of 2021. So I'm a little bit hesitant to be like super team Carson McCorkle because the odds that something changes. This makes me laugh every time I watch it. <laughs> I'm not laughing at him. I want to make that very clear. I'm fully supportive. I think the name's fantastic. Sorry, go ahead. I would agree. I just am nervous. So like I hadn't seen him play at all either. I mean, there's not that much footage of a sophomore in high school playing basketball, usually circling interwebs yet, unless you're like Zion Williamson. But I was nervous then when I saw that he committed verbally so, like, early, and then I was reading up on him, and everyone's like, oh, he's a three-star now, but, like, give him a year or two, he'll be, like, at least a four-star, potential five-star. And I'm like, okay, if this kid's a five-star recruit senior year, I am a little bit nervous about him deciding to go elsewhere or at least being courted by other schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say, I think it does huge things when you look at class of 2020 recruiting, where we don't have anyone yet. I think if you're looking at 2020 and you're like, okay, this kid is a sophomore, he has tons of potential, and he's already verbally on board for Virginia, I feel like that gives kind of maybe a push to the people we want for 2020, which is always a good thing, because I think 2019 is probably almost wrapped up um, for the most part. I mean, obviously things can change over the course of this year, but I think 2020 is really where it's going to make the most impact. I'm interested to see. I have seen some talk. There's potential that he reclassifies to 2020. I did see um, that too. Which I don't know. I don't know nearly enough about that whole process and what people need to do. And if that's even what coach Bennett wants or Carson wants, but I I do think one of the things um, Kyle guy was a real, not obviously, not obviously this early, but he was an early uh, commitment. Ty Jerome was too, wasn't he? And Ty was a little yeah. bit after Kyle, but Ky- I think where the earliness, because Nor- I absolutely agree with you, you're like, oh man, now Bill Self is going to have how many years to try and steal right? this kid? <laughs> um, but you kind of look at the stuff that he said in some interviews um, seems to make me think that personality-wise, he meshes really well with Coach Bennett and the staff, and that makes me feel it. a lot better when it comes to talking about faith and that when he talked to his family, this was the right decision for him. Um, and that also, like you said, he can help recruit because Kyle Guy was actually a very vocal recruiter for Virginia. And Tony uh, Bennett does a really good job of finding players who fit at Virginia. Yeah. You know, like I think DeAndre Hunter is probably one of the only players who he recruited probably knowing that he wasn't going to stay. Yeah. You know, at least through his junior season. Um, DeAndre, you should stay. Just kidding. Go get your money. But <laughs> yeah, but I think like that's definitely a good sign. Like I don't think we've seen Tony Bennett recruit that many people who are going to be like, yeah, no, let me go consider a place where I can be a one and done. You know, those yeah. aren't really the kinds of commits we tend to get. So it would be hard. I, mean, I think a kid that is thinking that way isn't committing at the his September of his sophomore year of high school. Yeah. This kid that wants to drag it out and have everybody come, you know, kiss the ring and and you know, get the, the ESPN stories of number one prospect still uncommitted. Where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? And have everyone <laughs> talking about him, you know, as, a, and, and Mendenhall talked about that, that element in football recruiting too, that the guys that want to do the hat ceremony on signing day, aren't the kind of guys that are interested in finding the place that's the right fit for them. Um, so I think the the fact that it's not just Tony extending an offer to a guy that's this young, that's pretty unusual. Um, yeah. but then the, the kid committing that early, um, means, uh, I, I think he's more likely to stick over the long haul than, than be the sort of, uh, drama queen. Yeah. And Emily, I've, we just got update from Statboy um, that 
so I did in fact commit before Kyle. So you're right there. So um, yeah, I think time. one of the <laughs> I caught him before he boats up a little bit. That's amazing. Um, I think one of the maybe potential hidden silver linings of the UMBC losses, a couple of the recruits since that have committed since that happened have said that the way that coach Bennett and even the players like handled themselves following that loss has actually made a big impact on them. Um, but anyway, just a fun thing, huge step for Virginia basketball. That's great. Now we've got a bunch of guys coming in. So I think we're going to close with one last fun game. Um, we, Paul and myself are the so old. Speak, yes. Speaking, speaking <laughs> of, of class of 2021 recruits, <laughs> I am class of 2010. Uh, Caroline, we will, uh, on advice of counsel, you can just, uh, let this one go by. Emily, when did graduated from, from Virginia? Uh, like three months ago. Okay. So we're going <laughs> to play the most family friendly ever game ago. of millennial. Never have I ever, uh, with Emily, because why not? I'm old and I like to pick on children. Um, so Emily, true. Have you ever <laughs> used a payphone? Nope. Have, have you have ever, ever. <laughs> have you ever used dial-up internet? Yes. Ooh. Back so you, in the day with my AOL is, account. Okay, so that's this was the next question. Is which is, I still have. Have you, have you <laughs> used AOL Instant Messenger, the like the original AIM? Mm-hmm. What was your screen name? <laughs> Just kidding. If that's still your email, don't share it. Was it like some like? It's not so my email. Um, it was uh, my dog's name. So my dog was named Lollipop. So it was Lollipop 6 because I don't know why 6. It wasn't even like my number in sports or anything. It was probably just whatever was available. That's amazing. Uh, yep, there we go. There we have it. Okay, and last question. Earlier, <laughs> earlier in the podcast, Caroline if, it harked us back to the, the halcyon days of Connor Hughes as a kicker. Do you know who that is? No. Okay. <laughs> so that I, I, I didn't mean to – don't want to put anybody on blast here. Uh, I, I, I did just want to – let everybody know who our writers are. We'll do this at some point with Sayer. I was just about to say, can you roast Sayer? Like, Sayer probably yeah, yeah, has absolutely. answers Look, to these questions than I do. We're easing into this. Sayer, I can probably ask, do you know who Hunter Pearson is? And he might. <laughs> he might say no. So, uh, Emily, thanks for being a good sport. Yes. You're welcome. I was um, anticipating that game to go a lot worse for me. Well, you're lucky that we've run long talking about actual sports. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you next time. Yeah, on that note, I mean, we. Virginia heads to NC State this Saturday, uh, twelve twenty kickoff time, I believe that is. Um, and it's twelve twenty somewhere. Twelve twenty somewhere. Uh, so make sure you check out shirkylawn.com for all of your Virginia sports needs. I am Caroline, and on behalf of the entire crew tonight, thanks for listening and wahoo! <laughs>